yeah, my wardrobe is uh, is uh, yeah, a colorful mix of of different things. I just enjoy wearing them, and I enjoy the happy reactions I get. Uh, apparently, it makes people happy seeing colors. So I'm yeah, happy to do it. Well, Sebastian, it definitely brings me joy. Hello there. My name is Kit Rackley. My pronouns are they, them, and this is Coffee and Geography. The aim of the show is to get to know, explore, and celebrate the diverse and intersectional range of people on this rock we call home and their love and passions of it. We'll find out why guests identify as geographers, and if they don't exactly, we'll have fun exploring all the myriad of ways that connects their life to geography. So, pour your favourite brew, get cosy and listen in. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPot. Off we go. Hi everybody, welcome to Coffee and Geography. I'm speaking to someone who I've known for a fair while now. I've only met once, but the one thing I'll always remember is his charm and his very bright coloured shirts. Sebastian Snell, it is absolutely lovely to see you. Lovely to see you too, Kit. Thank you for having me. <laughs> to introduce you, Sebastian is a physicist by training, experienced as consultant and researcher in a range of fields. Now get this, everybody. This is amazing. Listen to these fields. Energy and climate policy, emissions modeling, Paris Agreement, renewable energy and solar, wind and hydro in particular, energy systems, renewable grid integration, energy meteorology, science policy interface. Now that's just incredible right and we're going to talk a bit about that a bit later he works with international projects mostly uh, focusing in the sub-saharan african region but also in south and eastern asia caribbean and europe public speaker on the causes of the climate crisis how it be remedied but he's not that he's not just a workaholic he, le- he likes to learn new languages play guitar does a bit of sports particularly cycling cricket and running a good book cooking traveling and is just a bit of a nerd particularly with geography history and physics yeah yeah how do you get around to doing all that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's such a thing as thing as having having too many hobbies, I guess. But <laughs> okay, first let's let's pick this apart a bit. First of all, question: Yeah, how many languages are you up to then? Because you're in Belgium, and I know that obviously there's there's a lot of there's a bit of very cultural linguistic mix there. So perhaps if you start with what your main tongue is, and then kind of go on from there in your level of competency. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, first of all, I should note: so last time we met, I was indeed still working in Belgium. Uh, by now, I'm actually working in in Germany. Uh, that's a very recent thing. So I've taken up uh, taken up a new job there. I still have the affiliation in Belgium for a while, but um, yeah. So I was born and raised in the Netherlands. So my the the I mean I guess my the language I'm best at is is Dutch. Um, but my uh, my family have a a, a German background. Uh, so like German migration background. I, I'm also fluent in uh, in German. Um, then in school, I learned uh, English and French as well. Uh, so those four, I guess, I, I speak I speak fluently. Um, then I uh, many years ago, I, I spent I spent uh, some time in in India. Um, so I, I do speak a bit of Hindi as well. Actually, I speak read and write. Um, I used to speak a bit of Chinese as well. But I've forgotten most of it, honestly. That's uh, that's a fair while ago now. So there you go. My my goodness, that is incredible. I tell you what, there is a lot of people now listening to you already envious. I think because that that is in um, that is amazing. I mean, I I always joke to people that I can only speak um, I can speak Welsh 
maybe if you add them together, maybe three and three quarter languages. I can speak English, a little bit of Chichewa, which is the uh, language of Malawi, mm-hmm. tiny bit of French, but very, very good um, Cockney nonsense. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very important as well, I guess. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, I, yeah, and uh, I, w- I won't be going on a Cockney rhyming slang. I did do that in a previous episode, so people have had their fill of that. <laughs> so. No, you'll, you, you'll lose me if you, if you do that, kids. I, I will follow. <laughs> yeah all right enough of that nonsense me old china (laughs) right so this is obviously this podcast is called coffee and geography so but we talk about brews in general so what is your usual uh brew of choice sebastian um look it really depends on the time of day and on my mood so um then breakfast i'll have uh, have a black tea with milk and sugar typically um if i need refreshment like after doing sports uh i like a uh uh, a cold glass of, of apple juice uh, or orange juice. Um, if we're talking alcoholic drinks, I uh, I love a good fruity Belgian beer. Uh, as you know, Belgium has the best beers in the world. I don't think anyone can can really disagree with that. <laughs> um, I'm white wine from Portugal. Yeah, I guess those are the those are the favorites. What about you, Kit? I must admit. I do miss um, a good Belgian beer at the and and why not give them a shout out at, at, at the Belgian Monk in Norwich, right? Um, for example, they do amazing Bel- Belgian beers. And so, Sebastian, you ever come come visit? You know, we'll, I'll definitely have to take you to the Belgian Monk because it's a fabulous, fabulous place. And when everything calms down, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. So what? So what? Is there a kind of like typical brand of that black tea you have? I mean, we've got our classic British ones over here, so. So what is it you have over there? It's just Earl Grey, I guess. That's very typical Earl here. Grey. Mainland, mainland <laughs> Europe, I'd say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay, so that's quite a few bits in it, bits we got on there. So we go, um, let's have a look at, talk about your location. And so you, yeah. you, you say you're in Germany now, but you were um, in the, in the was it the, the XL um, area of Brussels, I believe? Uh, yes, correct. Um, how long was you there for? Uh, for about two and a half years. Uh, so I was working at the Free University of Brussels. Uh, fun fact, there's two free universities of Brussels. One is Dutch-speaking and the other one is French-speaking. It's extremely Belgian. Um, <laughs> so so I, I was working for the, for the Dutch-speaking one. Yeah, and after that, I found some, uh, some consulting opportunities um, in, uh, at, the, at the International Renewable Energy Agency in Germany before, uh, before finding a, uh, a full-time job there. That's not just uh, two months ago that I or three months rather, that I started there. And uh, what I was doing in, uh, in Belgium is, was basically uh, doing a, a PhD um, on, uh, uh, on some of the topics you mentioned, uh, on, on renewables and their potential uh, across, across sub-Saharan Africa. Um, so I hope to be defending that uh, in three months from now, actually, more or less exactly three months. Wow. Well, very best of wishes with that, and we'll we'll come back and talk about that in a, in a little moment. Because having yeah. kind of worked with you in a remote sense in my previous job, I was always fascinated by by um, you know what you what we used to discuss and the kind of work and reading the work that you did, and and it's and I just can't wait for everybody to hear about that because it's just so fascinating. But just to ca- come to your sense of place, then, so you say that you're you're from you're from the Netherlands and yes. you've been in Belgium, you've been, you're in Germany now, you've been lots of places around the world. So this, I don't know if this is going to be um, a tricky question for you. It might be quite easy actually, but in terms of your, your sense of identity then, how has all these places um, formed your sense of identity? So for example, is there, 
is there a piece of Brussels that you now will carry around for the rest of your life has formed your part of identity? Is or is it is is the Dutch in you very very strong? Or is there anything any place in sub-Saharan Africa? Tell us, tell us, Sebastian. How has your identity been formed by the places you've been, the places you've lived? Oh, Kit, thank you very much for the question. That's a, that's a tough one, eh? It's not a tough one per se. It's tough, but it's tough to put to put my finger on these things, I guess. So, okay, let me say, I guess having having grown up in a um, bicultural family, I should say, uh, sort of Dutch and and German. Um, I guess in terms of identity, we were always kind of used to a certain fluidity in there like not having one rigid identity, but depending on who you talk to or the place you're in, that, you know, uh, you're just, you speak a different language or you, you just you eat different food and things like that. I, I don't really consciously think about these things, but obviously like, the, the, I mean, going to different places, I'm sure you've had the same thing when going, going to, you spent time in Malawi, haven't you? Uh, yep. A good amount of time there. Yeah. You just kind of end up, I mean, some things you appreciate, some things you don't, and that's the same with your, with your home country. Uh, and I guess you just end up taking a, like taking the best of everything. No, you try to try to combine a bit the best of all the places you've been, and then you know, in the end, you might I don't know, you might be as 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 direct as a as a as a Dutch person. You might drink your sip your tea like an like an English person. Uh, you might have the hospitality of Burkina Faso, and you might I don't know. Uh, you might uh, eat your dinner as late as a as a Spaniard. I don't know. Uh, you just combine combine different things, and it's something that happens gradual. No. The hospitality of Burkina Faso. Okay, can you can you tell? Yes, yes, have yes. you got a particular story or, or or kind of memory from being out there that made you think, "Wow, these people are very very good hosts." Um, I mean, across where I've been in West Africa, I've always experienced extremely good hospitality. Um, so that was just the first country that popped into my mind. I could have substituted it for for Senegal or so. Uh, but but while we're on the topic, Burkina Faso is an absolutely fascinating country. Um, the name Burkina Faso actually means the land of honest people. Um, I think that's just a wickedly awesome name for a country to have. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very, very nice place, very nice people. Unfortunately, suffered from, uh, from some instability in recent times, but it's a, it's a really, really fascinating place. I've been twice um, and uh, should be more on people's radar, I feel. It really deserves to be, to be better known. We we have to then segue that into kind of the work that you do because it is so so fascinating. Thank you, kids. Now, one of the, one of the reasons why I chose to do this podcast, even just as you know, even it was just as a hobby, but it's turned out to be something so much more, which is amazing, is to is to not just get to know people and whatnot, but also to dispel misconceptions and myths. Well, that that's that's been a kind of like a, a side effect, a, a pleasant side effect of of this podcast. So when people think of sub-Saharan Africa, they don't go for renewable energy is one of the first things that pop into their head i think that will be surprising to a lot of people so well well, first of all if people say to you crikey i didn't realize that they do this kind of amount of stuff or this so you know renewable energy is not the first thing i think of when i think of sub-saharan africa what do you what would you what would you first say to those people who are shocked to surprise that you do this this kind of work in that location what would i first say gosh the difference between between um between let's say Europe and and Sub-Saharan Africa in terms of energy planning um, is quite a fascinating one, uh, if you ask me. Um, so in Europe, we've got adequate large-scale electricity grids that support that support large-scale industry, households, and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, we're trying to kind of wean those those electricity systems off fossil fuels, aren't we, um, to to combat climate change. 
Um, so we have systems in place, but the components of that system have to be adapted and changed so that we, so that we can decarbonize um, and stop emitting so much carbon dioxide. Um, in, in sub-Saharan Africa, that's not really the, 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 the problem. The problem there is one of, one of access, hmm. uh, isn't it? Cause, cause whatever, whatever the source, whatever the electricity source, countries are going to need more electricity because demand is going through the roof. Um, and, and current generating capacity is not, is not sufficient to, to, to meet those needs. Um, so countries are going to have one way or another to expand their electricity grids, build new power generating stations, whether they be, you know, coal power plants or gas power plants or, or hydropower plants or, or nuclear or solar or wind or whatever, or a combination of all of those. Um, so the, 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 the challenge is, uh, is there in terms of expanding infrastructure, but that's also an opportunity. That's also an opportunity um, to start thinking right from the beginning, how can we design our systems uh, to, be, to be sustainable, to be low carbon right from the outset and adapt them right from the outset uh, mm. to the, the presence of, of uh, large amounts of, of solar and wind power feed in, for example, uh, which have their own very particular characteristics in terms of intermittency, variability, weather dependence. Um, that require uh, their own their own solutions, and um, this opportunity to 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 start thinking about that right from the start is an opportunity that that Europe has never had, I would say. So it's a challenge, but it's at the same time, like every challenge, also an opportunity. Um, the the potential for renewable energy, renewable electricity generation, in particular across Africa, is is massive, of course. Uh, I mean, the sun sunshine is everywhere. There are some excellent wind resource pockets as well. Uh, across the continent, hydropower is already a well-established resource. Um, you've also got biomass. You've got geothermal in the East African Rift. Um, you've got you've got pretty much everything. I, I tell you, because one of the things that really amazed me, um, both not just when I went to Malawi in 2013, but also South Africa in uh, 2003, even that long ago, was how in in the most in the in in the the most disconnected places in in where you say you know access is a problem. Well, I, I was originally surprised, but then when I thought about it as in with my geographical kind of head on, I thought actually it makes total sense. And that is the number of people actually carrying around um, a mobile phone, a cell phone. So in yeah. 2003, it was the, the very, very like basic kind of kind of things that some, you know, maybe the village elder had one um, or the, the leader of the village had one. Mm-hmm. But, but when I got to Malawi in 2013, almost every single person in the rural parts of Malawi had a mobile phone yeah. um, and mo- quite a few of them were smartphones as well um, because because what had happened is that they had completely bypassed the whole you know connectivity through landlines and through putting in cables and all that infrastructure because that was just not possible but it was so much easier to just go straight for the whole wireless connectivity um, and I just found that fascinating. Yeah absolutely absolutely so um, maybe you know some of the some of the more polluting parts of uh, of power generation that that we've had in Europe and that we've benefited from in Europe um, uh, over the past decades could be I mean leapfrogged is the fancy term that people use could be could be avoided in that way mm. as well if if we do it right if we plan it right. You've been to that part of the world quite a few times. Then um, is there a particular project or person you've worked with? Um, out out in that part of the world where where you just think you know people would really really need to 
um, hear more about this kind of work that these people are doing because it, we just need to smash this whole idea that people in you know in in sub-Saharan Africa all those kind of things like just can't do anything without support can't because they they don't have the know-how whatever so if, have you got a particular kind of maybe example of a project or a person or a group that you've worked with which just completely blows that misconception out the water because they are they are on it i mean first of all i i'd say that there is already quite a fair bit of positive news out there um if you if you if you read the papers at least from the the press that i read um there's a fair bit of news about 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 new projects innovative projects and new solar parks wind parks etc uh, across across Africa, they, they they do tend to make the news um, and in in quite positive ways as well. I'd say so. There's you know there's there is attention um, to, to 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 what's happening happening across Africa. That was maybe not the case ten years ago, at least uh, in, in 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 terms of in terms of yeah, renewable energy, modern renewable energy like solar and wind power. That has a lot to do with the with the costs of those technologies. Um, they've just become a lot a lot cheaper um, in recent years, more affordable. Mm. But there's a there's a couple of recent projects that I think are very inspirational. Um, I think the well I haven't worked with this one uh, on a personal basis, but I've studied the the characteristics uh, quite a bit. Um, the the Lake Turkana wind power farm in in Kenya in the north of Kenya oh, okay. is a is a is a fascinating uh, fascinating project. It's located in a, in a unique area with extremely high and extremely constant wind speeds. It's basically a um, you can imagine it as as like a, a gap. In the in the East African Rift, um, so a gap between the mountains, which basically acts as a funnel, and the wind coming from the Indian Ocean uh, is just concentrated into that funnel, nice. um, and blows pretty much year-round, always same direction, uh, very constant speeds, and uh, yeah, it's got got one of the largest wind wind farms in uh, uh, on the African continent now, uh, connected to the Kenyan grid since a while as well. Um, it's a it's a fascinating project, just purely from a look. I'm a, I'm a physicist uh, by background, yeah. as you said. Um, from a from a physics point of view, it's it's an absolutely fascinating fascinating project, and it's it's really interesting to look at, you know, maps of of, of wind speed across Kenya, how they how they differ by 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 region, um, and uh, and how how these particular conditions just all come together there in the in the Turkana Valley. Um, it's a fascinating one. Uh, but there's 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 many many other examples now. Um, uh, the South African utility has started to to uh, put out tenders for um, uh, for for solar plus storage projects. Um, Senegal has recently inaugurated a big a big wind farm along the Atlantic coast. They're now seeking to add storage to that. Uh, various countries are trying to experiment with um, with floating solar PV on existing hydropower reservoirs. There's 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 a lot happening, kids. Uh, many many things across across the entire continent. A lot of things are going to change in the in the next next five next ten years. I'm I'm and I'm really excited to see where where we'll be in uh, uh, ten years from now. That's oh that 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 sounds so so cool. So this this actually gives an opportunity to give a shout out to um kind of a, a, a colleague by proxy of ours um, who we've worked with when we when we did stuff together a few years ago. So uh, Jake. Jake Badger, hi Jake, who works, I don't know if he still works for them, but works for DTU, uh, Danish Technical University. Um, so he was part of a team 
uh, along with the World Bank, which generated some um, really cool maps, one one of which is the Global Wind Atlas. Mm-hmm. Um, so particularly you geography teachers listening, um, it's a fantastic piece of GIS. Um, it's so accessible, but so, so powerful as well. So if you've got the older kids doing their coursework, for example, they can really go to town to it. Or you can just do it the basics with like the younger kids just to show where wind speeds are higher or not. I'm just looking at Kenya, as you just said, Sebastian, and my goodness that yeah you're absolutely right you can see those big patches of red and dark red where the wind speeds really do kick up in the in the rift valley yeah. particularly in the northern part of kenya i mean that's that's incredible and it, yeah wow yeah funny story funny story behind that is that um uh as far as i know originally there was a couple of a couple of dutch guys um who just kind of went went to the valley uh, to check out the wind speeds and were amazed by by you know the strength and the and the constancy of the of the wind um took some measurements by themselves and sent them to uh, a couple of companies saying look we've got this really nice wind resource here could we develop some projects here and people did not believe them people said <laughs> it's impossible that 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 wind speeds anywhere in the world could be this high this and this and this constant this reliably high you know mm. um they didn't believe them and they sent their own guys to to take the measurements um which obviously confirmed the same thing in the end um i think that's i think that's that's really a really interesting story yeah but yeah that part of kenya that maintains its wind speed even even at a low level that's yeah that is an incredible wind resource um wow thank you i mean i think um yeah everybody listening to you i bet you weren't thinking of kenya when you were thinking of uh, a potential you know great source of uh, wind energy there that's incredible I'm, I was I was going to leave this till later, but I'm definitely going to bring it up now. Um, and we're going to do a little feature called Jog Your Memory. And what Jog Your Memory is, is that we talk about a, a, a momentous or, or noteworthy geographical event. It could be a big event or it could be due to a single person or whatnot. And we talk about it, Sebastian, and then you've got to you've got to have a have a guess uh, when this took place um and i've i've chosen something which is right up your street and that is the story um, and people might have heard of this and if they haven't they need to um either read the book or watch the movie and that is the boy who harnessed the wind so um this is the story of uh, william kumquamba uh, and the movie was um but the movie uh, features chiwichil ejiofor which is uh, which is absolutely he's a fantastic actor i love him but yeah this is a fantastic um story so sebastian you said that you've seen the movie so for people who've not do not know this story who have not seen the movie or read the book can you give us like a a, just a brief synopsis about what it's all all about and why this story is very noteworthy yeah um so from what i remember it's about two years ago i think i watched the movie but there's a so there's this boy in 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 his village in in malawi and um uh, it's a it's a community of of farmers basically, uh, and they they suffer from from periodic droughts. And um, this one boy who's who's extremely clever uh, for his age um, tries to think of ways to uh, to help their family uh, bridge the dry periods. Uh, uh, and he 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 comes up with a way of pumping uh, groundwater up uh, using 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 the wind. Uh, so using using uh, 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 small small wind turbines, basically small windmills, uh, to to help pump up the water uh, from the ground and uh, and sustain the crops even in 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 dry periods, sustain the fields. Um, and people initially 
don't really believe in his in his ideas and and say you know tell him to spend his time in better ways but eventually uh, i think it's with the help of, of one of his one of his teachers um, i don't remember exactly it's a bit it's a bit bit blurry in my memory but he 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 does end up building a prototype proof of concept the whole thing uh uh showing that showing that showing that this works yeah it's uh i mean i i won't say more because i don't remember <laughs> and also spoilers <laughs> but 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 it's it's a very it's a very nice movie i i really enjoyed it um and uh and i haven't i haven't read the book unfortunately yeah. maybe it's it's probably even better in all fairness you know what if it's a real life story is it do do you really give spoilers if it's a real life story? I mean, <laughs> so I, but I love no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you know, what? okay, spoilers, everybody, because even though it's real life, so yeah, um, Sebastian pretty much got it spot on there. So um, this was basically he he formed a prototype um, out of uh, blue gum trees, bicycle parts, uh, materials collected at a local scrapyard, um, and I think. So this might give you a bit of a ballpark about when this took place, but I think he was 14 years of age when he built this prototype, I think. Um, yeah, which is absolutely incredible. And and the, you mentioned about the drought and the famine, and apparently um, that caused him to drop out of school. Um, so he was he was mm. really, really, you know, and as you say, there was that pressure, as we know, there's that, that education is so, so valued. You know, they, they were saying, well, you've got to get back into your studies, but he, the opportunity to, to build this wind turbine. And yeah, and since then, apparently, he says since then, he's built, he's built a, a solar powered water pump that supplies the first drinking water in his village and two other wind turbines, which the tallest is 39 feet, 12 meters. And he's planning two more, including one in La Longue. Which is, of course, the capital of Malawi. So, he gave a TED talk in two thousand and seven as well. So uh, that's worth worth watching. Um, so, right, okay, Sebastian, what year do you think William constructed his first prototype wind turbine? Can you have a guess? Oh, so multiple choice is it? Huh? Um, I wouldn't... <laughs> I ain't gonna give him multiple choice. <laughs> uh... The only thing I'll say is that he's slightly younger than us. Well, he's about younger than me, anyway. Uh huh. Uh, I, I guess somewhere beginning of the 90s, that'd be my guess, maybe 94? If it was 94, he would have been seven, eight years old. So it was actually 2001. 2001. 2001. I see. So you're in the right era. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it. Yeah, 2001 that happened. And the movie came out, he, he gave his TED Talk in 2007. And the movie featuring EGL4 was in 2019. Oh, I didn't realize it was that recent, 2019. So oh, right. only, a, only a couple of years yeah. ago. Right. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to, right. Okay. But I'm, I'm going to carry on with this quizzing now. Yes. Right? yes. Because no you, you're going you're, you're to spill the beans now. You claim. That as a te- and, I, and, and I'm in the same boat as you here because I, I was exactly the same when I was a kid. As a 10-year-old kid, you learn all the countries, capitals, and flags of the world by heart. Yes. And you still know most of them. Yes. Which makes, it an as- makes you an asset to any pub quiz team. Yes. Um, I would make that claim as well. I think me and you would definitely like nail it between us. But I've got to I've got to I've got to quiz you. I've got to quiz you. I can't let you. Go, go, go. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Shit. Yeah. Right. So this is where I cue the uh, quiz music. Some nice jazz. <laughs> right. So, okay. Um, 
some of these are going to be all right. I'll, let's ramp it up. Let's ramp it up. Let's start. Let's start with something relatively easy, right? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> now, of course, because this is a podcast, I can't show you a flag. <laughs> um, right. Um, that would be beside the point. So, like, yeah, everybody, like, what's this flag? <laughs> it's not going to work. No. Right. Let's start off with a relatively simple one. Um, so, what is the most common color? on a world flag on world flags what's the most common color on world flags Oof. i can give you multiple choice to start with yeah. if if you prefer go ahead yeah is it red is it white or is it yellow um do we mean common as in number of appearances or as in area of flags covered yeah it's not going to not that that helps yeah. me but <laughs> just buying time <laughs> <laughs> uh oof. Uh, I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with red. Yep, it is red indeed. Well done. Nice. <laughs> right, so one out of one so far. Okay, <clears throat> next one. So, what do the thirteen stripes on the United States flag represent? Oh, um, maybe the I don't know original thirteen states or something like that original subset of set of states yeah yep you got it good so the original colonies good yeah. right okay this this you should get this one this one you should get this one the irish flag the irish flag is often confused with which other country uh ivory coast yes i knew you'd get that one that's just that's just like like your area right okay Okay, we're going to get... This one's a bit easy as well. Then we're going to get into some hard ones, right? All right so, all right. okay. Um, <laughs> we're, the, whose, whose flag is known as Il Tricolor? Um, I think there's several ones, no? Uh, yeah, so Il Tricolor. So it's not, not Le Tricolor, but Il Tricolor. Oh, that would, be, that would be Italian then. Yeah, right. Okay, right. I'm going to wrap this up now. I'm going to wrap this up now. You're doing well. Which country's flag contains an image of the country? Which country's flag contains the image, the outline of the country? I think there's two, um, Cyprus and Kosovo. Yep, so I'll let you have one of those. Okay, which country's national flag is inscribed with the motto, Ordem Ich Progreso? That's Brazil, isn't it? God, you're good at this. You're good at this, right. Okay. <laughs> Right, let's see which one now. In what part of the world would you find Saint Piran's flag? In what part of the world would you find Saint Piran's flag? This is a hard one. This Saint, is I wouldn't know this one. Saint Piran. Yeah. How do you spell that? P I R A N. Saint Piran. This is tough. I wouldn't have known this one. Uh, in what part of the world? Um, I guess Europe. I don't know. Well, it's in it's in Europe. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll give you a clue because this is too difficult. Um, it's actually a part of the United Kingdom, so not not oh. not one of the countries, but even an even smaller geographical area. So I'll give you a clue, right? Which which um, geographical area stroke uh, county of England would prefer to be independent? Which county of England would prefer to be independent? Yeah, they they they've liked to fly their own flag and I have absolutely no idea, kid. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, um, it's the flag of Cornwall. Right. So, uh, oh, yeah. So it's the black, is the black background with a white cross? I think. 
Okay, yeah. right. I would not have known that. <laughs> right, okay. So, if you turn the Indonesian flag upside down, which country's flag would you get? Um, the Polish one, or the one of... No, I think... Wait, Monaco's is also Ooh. similar, but I think that's... It's, it's the same way around. I, I think it's Poland. <gasps> yes. Uh. Right, good, well done. Okay. Um, which country has the only non-rectangular national flag? Uh, Nepal. Right. I think um, I think we'll, we'll go for one more. I've lost count of how many I've asked you now. <laughs> right. Well, we'll go with one more. we go one more. Um, New Zealander Sir Edmund Hillary and Sherpa uh, Tenzing Norgay from Nepal put which flag when they reached the summit of Mount Everest? Which flag did they put up? That is a fascinating question, and I do not know the answer. I didn't know this one either. Apparently, they put the the uh, the British Union Jack up there, despite the fact that it was a New Zealander and someone from Nepal who went up there, huh. because the expedition was financed by the British. Typical colonizers, eh? Oh, let someone yeah. else do the work and stick your flag up there. Yeah. Yes. Well, there you go. I don't know. I, I can't. Don't know what your score is, but it was. Uh, it was a very, very respectable one. They were quite tough. Some of those. Thanks. So, uh... Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> if I, I can add another one if you're, if you, because I know you're interested in this kind of stuff. Um, there's, there's one country in the world whose flag has different front and back sides. <gasps> Which flag has different front and back sides? Yes. It's, uh, it's Paraguay. I did not know that. The symbol, that symbol is slightly different on the front and back side. Oh, okay. As far as I know. Oh, yeah. interesting. Oh, well, you learn something every day. Right. Because as soon as yeah. you said the flag, I knew I had the flag in my head, but I was like, it has another side. <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, there you go. So everybody out there, we've just learned that flags don't necessarily have the same on the, on the other side. Right. Okay. Cool. Now that was fun. That was fun. Thanks for that. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that was fun. I agree. I agree. Still, all this, all this random knowledge from my ten-year-old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I episode is. Uh, I used to present. spend literally hours with my coloring book. I I had this. I had this. Oh, this this atlas. No, encyclopedia. Um, when I was a, when I was a kid, about the same age actually. Um, and it was this. I can't remember what it's called now, but it was this. It was had a beautiful yellow cover, this encyclopedia. But the best part of this encyclopedia was at the very, very back, it had those multiple pages of just the country's flags, you know. And I was like, uh -huh. I loved it. And so what I did, I used to copy them out. Like I spent hours copying them out. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd be happily and merrily yeah. doing that. And I remember how old this encyclopedia was because the um, the South African flag was the was the old British colonial one you know with the with the orange in it and the and the british mm -hmm. flag in the middle with as well so that's how old that was that was before the uh the, you know the rainbow yeah. flag of of the of south africa so yeah, yeah. um wow i bring it back some memories now <laughs> yeah <laughs> right we're going to close off now, Sebastian, with uh, something uh, low, loads, loads of fun so what we do we we like to connect each guest together by um by coming up with a word that the following guest has to try and link with with geography so and geography in the loosest sense you know anything to do with the environment or place or whatever it is now last um, episode i had the absolute 
pleasure of of it being a catch-up really because I talked to an ex-high school student of mine Johanna Bonilla Allard um it was so so lovely to catch up with her and um she um came up with the word contrast which is a great word for you Sebastian because before we get on to what how you can link the word contrast to geography and geographical processes it's a perfect word for you because of the shirts that you love to wear Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I am a big, big fan of your attire. So before before we get onto this uh, this little uh, thing, tell us a bit about what's your wardrobe like? Is it kind of like you open it and it just goes oh with all that colour? Um, but yeah, what, yeah. what your fashion sense? How did that come about? <laughs> oh, I, I I don't I don't know, kids. Um, I uh, but I mean it's it's pretty accurate. <laughs> pretty accurate description. I, I just I just like I just like colors and I like I like I like patterns on uh, on the things that I'm wearing. I I I, I absolutely love uh, um, uh, West African fabrics. I I I, I love the yeah. you know the colorful patterns you get and you know and and the way that people pull it off as well. Um, uh, just in just about every every kind of setting. Yeah, my wardrobe is uh, is uh, yeah a colorful mix of of different things. I just enjoy wearing them and I enjoy the happy reactions I get. Uh, apparently it makes people happy seeing colors. So I'm, yeah, happy to do it. Well, Sebastian, it definitely brings me joy. Um, and I'll, I'll put a link in the description for everybody. But but I remember um, me edit, editing a, a blog article that you wrote for the nonprofit that I used to work for. So the World Energy and Meteorology Council. And you wrote a fantastic blog. And the reason why people got to read that blog is not because it's just fascinating itself, but you've got your profile picture with a fantastic, with your, uh, your, your white uh, shirt with the blue kind of like bluey gray kind of like flowers on yeah, them or yeah, kind yeah, of like, yeah, yeah. which is lovely uh, but you've got the cover picture is of you uh where were you in that picture oh um, i think it's in robert it wasn't in senegal was you? no i think that was in robert dugu in, in Burkina Faso. unless i'm mistaken i must have been must have been there yeah and you're wearing some 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 uh some Af- Af- african garb then some from Burkina faso and uh, uh, yes yeah, no that the the, the the garment is from in that picture is from 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 niger actually neighboring country oh from niger yeah yeah i i I had it had it tailored there that is so awesome i did not know that yeah i need to start wearing my i've got um two chichenjis from malawi which are which are basically i mean they're it's 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 inaccurate to say that they're skirts because they're just large pieces of fabric right. which you can wear as a skirt. Yeah. But you can also but but a lot of um, Malawi women also wear them as 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 carriers as well, and they wrap them they can wrap them around their body and carry things and carry children in them as well. Or they can put them around their waist to wear them as skirts. Um, and oh, I think some I think somebody actually showed. Um, Amy, Amy Sale. Hi, Amy. Um, who a friend of mine who went to lovely, lovely Amy who went to Malawi with me as a on teacher exchange. I think they taught her how to do do something with her hair or something with it as well, which is absolutely amazing. Which mm. is which is cool. I'm gonna have to dig out that picture. Right. Um, thanks for sharing that with us, Sebastian. So back back to the word then. Yes. Back to the word. So you will have thirty seconds to link the word contrast to geography or geographical processes or or location however it is i mean all right you can make a start and i'll set the timer i mean geography whether you're talking about physical geography or social geography it's all determined by contrast no i mean it's contrasts in 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 temperature and in elevation that make that make winds blow 
Um, it's, it's differences in elevation that make that make rivers flow. Uh, it's differences in, 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 in landscapes and in fertility of, of, of the soil that make people move from one place to another. Um, you know, everything everything's dynamic, and that's because there are differences between uh, between different places. And that, yeah. Yeah. Well done. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Oz, you nailed it. Right. Okay. So then you get to have a go um, at getting a word out there for the next guest. So, what would you like uh, your following guest to try and link to geography, as you so magnificently done there with contrast? Yes. Um. How about friendship? Yeah, oh, that that is a lovely, lovely word, friendship. And and um, without without talking too much about that word, because I don't want to steal the thunder of the next guest. I've one thing I've really, really enjoyed, and I, I said this on Twitter very, very recently about doing this podcast, is that I've spoken to people that I know very, very well. I've spoken to people who I'm acquaintances with and have worked with, like like yourself. And I've I've had the I was the privilege of speaking to uh, Dr. Hannah Bloomfield, someone who we've worked with, oh, yes. you know, over, uh, remotely as well. Hello, Hannah. And uh, by the way, she sends her regards. Yeah, <laughs> hi, Hannah. Um, so you know, and people like that, and it's absolutely lovely to catch up and talk about something other than work. Um, and I've talked, I've spoken to people for the very first time, um, and all doesn't matter how much I know these people, like yourself, which is a little bit, or I know them very well, or not at all. I just get this feeling of of a friendship anyway and it's lovely it is absolutely and every time i talk to people on this podcast i just get that warm warm glow um at the end of it and i'm getting that right now sebastian because i've i've always enjoyed working with you and speaking to you and and you're a fascinating fascinating uh, person and i i have to say i've really enjoyed um catching up with you as well since the last time we talked was uh, quite a while ago now well thank you very much kit i i appreciate that but uh you're you're a lovely person as well with uh with an oh, extremely, extremely um, calm and soothing voice that I think everybody likes to listen <laughs> to. So, oh. so uh, if, if people want to um, get to know more about your work or maybe ask you about your wardrobe and your sh- shirts, how can they find you on social media? Right. Um, so I'm, I'm on Twitter um, and on, on LinkedIn. Um, it's just my first name, last name, Sebastian Sturl. Um, you'll be able to, able to find me easily. Um, yep. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And finally, would, is there anybody out there who may be listening or you're going to encourage to listen um, who you'd like to say hi to? Hi there, Melissa. I know that you asked to get the link to this podcast. So here you go. I hope you enjoy it um, and I uh, hope you're not too intimidated by the nerdiness of it all. <laughs> uh, proud to be a nerd. Proud to be a nerd. Sebastian, um, this has been absolutely delightful. It's been so lovely to speak to you. And um, it really does bring back lovely memories of us just having a lo- lovely chat when we were both in Denmark um, yes. a couple of years ago. Yes. Um, and yeah, and I'm, I'm hope we do keep in touch and and um, and the very best of luck on defending your, your PhD. And I'm sure you're going to smash it. Thank you very much, kids. I wish you all the best with this, uh, with this podcast. Thank, thank you so much for having me. Lovely talking to you. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely keep in touch and, uh, and meet again. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favorite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep
keep jogging.